Deuteronomy chapter 10 and from verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are today. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. He ex executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now... The Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. We have a second reading from Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And we are reading from verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But... If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? 
You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision, indeed, is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will, be condemned, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is the word of the Lord to us. Father, this morning, as we come before your word, we pray that you would speak into our hearts, that your word would pierce our hearts and cut deep, uh, that as you speak, we would listen, we would respond to your grace with love, and you would lead us into obedience. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's been great uh, to hear how you've all been finding our Deuteronomy series uh, these last couple of weeks. Uh, it's been really encouraging to hear, you know, uh, people have been really surprised by uh, Deuteronomy and how rich it is. Um, yeah, we've been hearing comments about how people are going, oh, wow, it's an Old Testament book. I didn't realize how good it could be. Um, and that's, that's really encouraging for a preacher to hear. So, you know, keep, keep the praise coming. But... Um, but more seriously, like we do, we do love the fact that uh, even something from the Old Testament is something really rich and really encouraging for you. Um, a lot of people have mentioned how applicable it's been, particularly, uh, and how applicable it's been for our hearts. Uh, many of you have shared how encouraged and challenged you've been to reflect on where your hearts are at with God, and uh, to be encouraged and challenged with how you can be living in obedience to His Word. Now, one of the consistent things uh, that I've been hearing is the challenge of bridging that vast gap between the head and the heart. And that's something that we've, uh, we've mentioned that we've been talking about. We're trying to be, we've been trying to tackle this gap between the head and the heart. And last week, Pastor Steve encouraged us to hear God's Word uh, by doing more than just listening and understanding, but to spend time meditating upon it, to sit in it to ponder it, to reflect it, to let the light of his word shine upon our hearts so that the memories of our salvation in the gospel of Jesus flood in. And I wonder, you know, that, that was the encourage from, uh, encouragement from Pastor Steve last week. I wonder, how, how did you go this week in doing that? How have you been going at that this week? Have you noticed a difference? If you have, then praise God. God's Word has the power to shape and mold our hearts so that we can put our faith in Jesus and continue to live in worship of Him. And so we shouldn't be surprised to see God's Word at work in our lives. And we should continue to pray that His Word might continue to bear fruit. But 
If you feel like there's been little to no difference, then can I say, you're probably not alone. And as Pastor Steve noted a couple of weeks ago, sometimes the journey between the head and the heart can take a couple of days. Sometimes it takes 40 years. And that can be frustrating. And after last week's sermon, someone asked me why I thought that we Christians struggle so much uh, to bridge that gap between the head and the heart. And I think part of the reason is because we have been shaped by our culture. We have been shaped by our culture to value the desires of our hearts, sometimes over and above what we know to be true or logical or rational in our minds. And this battle between the heart and the mind is captured quite succinctly by Emily Dickinson's famous line, the heart wants what it wants. Uh, And there's been uh, various modern interpretations and appropriations of this line. Uh, One of the most infamous appropriations uh, was by Woody Allen. Uh, Woody Allen's a famous actor, he's a bit older. Um, And in a Times Magazine interview, uh, he used this line to explain how he developed a romantic relationship with the adopted daughter of his previous long-term girlfriend. And this is what he says at the end of the interview. The heart wants what it wants. There's no logic to those things. You meet someone, and you fall in love, and that's that. Uh, More recently, the line is appropriated by Selena Gomez in her 2014 pop song, named after that line, and this is what uh, the lyrics are. There's a million reasons why I should give you up, but the heart wants what it wants. The premise behind these modern adaptations of the line is that our thinking and logic are often at odds with our feelings, our emotions, our desires. And when push comes to shove, we know that we can't control the desires of our hearts. Has this been your experience of the Christian life? We know and agree with the truth and goodness of God's word, but the desires of our sinful hearts often emerge victorious. There are a million reasons why we should love God and obey Him, but the heart wants what it wants. Now, this gap between the head and the heart is not a modern development. Now, while I do think that our particular culture today, our individualistic culture here in Australia, uh, presents some unique challenges for us in terms of the gap between the head and the heart, what it is is really just another version of a more fundamental struggle between the head and the heart, the origins of which can be traced all the way back to the fall of humanity when sin entered the world through the disobedience of the first human, Adam. The gap between the head and the heart is a struggle for all sinful humanity. For Christians today, as much as it was for the people of Israel in the time of Deuteronomy. And this is what Moses addresses in Deuteronomy chapters 9 to 11. After reminding Israel of the love which is meant to characterize their covenant relationship with God and the privileged identities that they then receive, Moses now turns to the heart of the matter. In order to love God 
and live out their privileged identities in obedience, God's people need to close the gap between the head and the heart. But they can't rely on sheer will and effort to overcome the wants of their hearts. What they need uh, is for their hearts to be first affected by God's own heart for them before they can then set their hearts on God. And so we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to focus in on verses 12 to 22 because I think uh, this particular chunk provides a neat cross-section of all the ideas that we see throughout all three of these chapters. And as we, as we heard uh, the, this passage read for us by Uncle Mike, I wonder if you noticed the back-and-forth ideas in, that pa- in the passage. Um, it's structured a little bit like lasagna. Or if you're from Malaysia or Singapore or Brunei or Indonesia and you didn't grow up eating lasagna, then it's structured a little bit like gue lapis. <laughs> by this, I mean that there are alternating layers. Uh, if you look there in the passage, one layer contains God's heart for us. And then the other layer contains our heart for God. Now, we'll look at each layer in turn before we zoom out and then look at how the layers come together. And so that's how the, the sermon is outlined and structured. So if you have your outline there, you can see we're basically going looking at the first layer and then the second layer and then the two layers together. So firstly... Let's consider God's heart for his people. Now, looking at uh, verses 12 to 22, let's look at what we learn of God's heart in these verses. And I've um, taken the liberty of putting it into a neat little table there. Uh, So we can see, uh, if you look at verses 14 to 15, we hear that the universe belongs to God, yet he set his heart on you and chose you. You being uh, the people of Israel, um, but... In Jesus, we can read that to be us as well. In verses 17 to 18, we, uh, we read that he is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, great, mighty, awesome, impartial, incorruptible. And so he enacts justice for the needy, for the orphan, for the widow, and he loves the sojourner, the outsider. Then jump down to the final layer, uh, verses 21 to 22. God has done great and awesome things such as making you, Israel, as numerous as the stars of heaven. Now, if we were to summarize what these verses say into one line, I think it would be this. The great, mighty, and awesome God of the universe, the one, true, and only God, loves his people. The great, mighty, and awesome God of the universe, the one, true, and only God, loves his people. For the people of Israel listening to Moses, these verses summarize what Moses has already preached to them in chapter 9 and the first half of chapter 10. Uh, And so if you were able to read these chapters uh, during the week in the lead up today, then you would have picked up that the big idea that Moses wants to emphasize in chapters 9 and the first half of chapter 10 is this. The fact that God's people were promised a land to call their own rescued out of slavery from the land of Egypt, guided and protected on their journey to the promised land, and will soon be able to take possession of this land from those who currently inhabit it, all of those things have nothing to do with their own righteousness and everything to do with God's grace and faithfulness. 
all of the things that are happening to Israel up until that point and soon to come has nothing to do with their own righteousness and everything to do with God's grace and faithfulness. You see, uh, what Moses explores is that the people of Israel have nothing to stand on, no achievements to display, no merit to claim. And so when Israel finally takes possession of the land from their enemies, when that moment finally comes, and when they are then tempted to boast in their own righteousness, Moses uh, you know, is prepared for that moment, and so he preemptively rebukes their thoughts by pointing out that they have done nothing to deserve this land. In fact, Moses goes on to say that they have actually done everything they could have done to disqualify themselves from inheriting this land uh, through their rebellion against God. And even when God relents from destroying these people because of his faithfulness to his own covenant, not because Israel deserved it or anything like that, uh, what do Israel do? They disqualify themselves again and again and again. And what does God do in response? He withholds his wrath again and again and again. And he speaks his ten covenant words a second time because the first time he was so angry that those, those words got smashed because they built a golden calf. And so, you know, he does it again a second time. And he writes these words down again on stone tablets, and this time they are not destroyed, but they're stored in an ark for the people of Israel to keep with them as they continue their journey. See, this is God's heart for his people. God chooses this people not because they are anything special. God chooses this people out of sheer and undeserved love. And this is God's heart for us too. You see, even though God's chosen people continue to rebel, uh, God's chosen people of Israel continue to rebel, God still remained faithful to his promises. And actually, it was through Israel's greatest rebellion, putting to death the Son of God, which led to the fulfillment of all of God's promises. The promise of rescue from slavery to sin. The promise to relent from destroying his people. The promise of an inheritance, not a land, but something that can never perish, spoil nor fade. An inheritance of eternal life and relationship with God. The promise that grace will be extended to us. The outsiders of God's covenant people. Grace would be extended to us so that we would be graciously included and chosen and loved. That's God's heart for us displayed in the gospel of Jesus. The God of the universe, great, mighty, awesome, the one and only God loves us. Not because of our righteousness, we are nothing special. We're not even the nothing special people that he chose. We are outsiders. But God chose us too. He sent his son, the Lord of the universe, to die on the cross for us because of the gap between our head and our hearts. 
out of sheer and undeserved love. The grace and faithfulness that God demonstrates for his people Israel is demonstrated fully and finally to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The great, mighty, awesome God of the universe, the one true and only God, loves us. That's the first layer of our Deuteronomy Guelapis. And so the second layer deals with our hearts for God. And Moses sets it up with a question in verse 12. What does the God of the universe, who loves his people, require of us? Let's take a look at how these verses fill in the layers. So we see there in verses 12 to 13, what does God require of you? Fear God, walk in his ways, love him, serve him, obey him. Jump down to verse 16. Circumcise your hearts. Don't be stubborn. Verses 90 to 20. Love the outsider. Fear God. Serve him. Cling to him. Swear allegiance to him. What do you notice about all of these things? Well, they are all responses to God's gracious actions. Let's take a look at each of these in turn. God's God's people are to fear him, to be in awe of him, because he has the power to perform awesome and terrifying things. Things like bringing Israel out out from the tyranny of Egypt. Things like raising Jesus up from the grave. God's people are to walk with him, to cling to him, to entrust themselves to him, Because he has proven that he is mighty to save. He rescued Israel to lead them to their promised land. He rescued us from sin and death to lead us into eternal life. God's people are to serve him, to obey him, to swear allegiance to him. Because he he has established his sovereignty as the one and only true God. No other God conquers wicked nations and humiliates other so-called false gods. No other God conquers death. God's people are to love him and to love those he loves because he first loved us. He set his heart on Israel when they were outsiders, sojourners outside of their own land, and he sets his heart on us outsiders to the covenant, and graciously brings us in through the blood of Jesus, the blood of the new covenant shed for us. If we were to summarize these verses, it would be this. God requires you, his beloved, to devote yourselves to the one who chooses you, loves you, and provides for your every need and desire. Set apart your hearts for him and for no one else. God requires you, his beloved, to devote yourselves to the one who chooses, loves, and provides for your every need and desire. Set apart your hearts for him and no other. This is what God requires. Now, the the language of requirement, though, raises a bit of a question for us. Is God's heart for us conditional on our hearts for God? 
That is, will God only love us and provide for us if we devote our hearts to Him and obey Him? And uh, if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 11 seems to lean uh, this way to the fact that it is conditional. You see, the big point Moses is making in chapter 11 is that the people of Israel will go well and live long in the land as long as they continue to devote their hearts to God. But if their hearts are swayed away from the one true living God towards other so-called gods or other things, then God will withhold his love and his provision. Is God's heart for us conditional? I think the answer to uh, that question is no, but yes. No, but yes. No, because it is not conditional, because God loves out of his sheer grace. You see, God's people are not devoting their hearts to God so that he would provide. It's not a transactional thing. It's not like, you know, here, have my devotion to you. God, you can now give your heart to me. Devotion to God is not the payment for God's services rendered to us by giving his heart to us. No, our devotion is a response to grace. It is the response to grace. God's people are to devote their hearts to God, not so that he would provide, but because he has already provided, because he can provide, because he will provide. You see the difference there? No. It is not conditional. But yes, it is conditional. Because God is the only true God, the only one who can provide and give. And so who else would give it to you? Who else would give it to you? You know, that God over there, that statue who promises to provide rain for your crops, protection from your enemies. What about that God over there? the money that promises a good and easy and enjoyable life, a comfortable, perhaps a slightly renovated, slightly luxurious roof over your heads. Or this one over here, the desires of your own sinful heart. You know the ones. The ones that, if only they were met, if only they were met, that would bring true satisfaction and contentment and joy. No, none of those gods will provide. God is the only true God. And so if you don't devote your heart to Him and, so, and instead devote your heart to something else, then you've rejected the only one who already has, the only one who can, and the only one who will give you true life, the only one who will provide. And so, of course, if you, de- if you decide to reject the only one who can, God is not going to give that to you. What we have seen so far from, uh, what have we seen so far from the layers of Deuteronomy chapter 10? We've seen that the one true God of the universe loves us. And he requires us, his beloved, to set apart their hearts in devotion to him. And so if you're, if you're doing the math, if you're following the logic, then you know that the logical and rational thing to do uh, is, what, is to do what God requires of you. To set your hearts for, uh, for God, to devote your hearts to Him. That is the logical and rational thing to do. 
But you know, and I know, that logic and rationality aren't enough to close the gap between the head and the heart. As the full sentence from Emily Dickinson goes, the heart wants what it wants, or else it does not care. We can't just push aside our heart's desires and be robotically directed by logic, no matter how rational or logical you are. Hearts are not designed that way. You know this. I know this. And God knows this too. Which is why God cares about the heart. He's not just interested in devotion that's external, in someone who is perhaps circumcised outwardly and physically. What God wants, what He demands, is hearts that want Him. So I think it's intentional that when Moses preaches verses 12 to 22 to Israel, he seamlessly layers the ideas of God's heart for us and our heart for God on top of one another to create one cohesive whole. You know, you don't eat lasagna layer by layer. You don't eat guela pest layer by layer. Oh, you might do, but you shouldn't. Um, I, I think that's what we're meant to do with this passage. When you hear it, when you read it, when you meditate on it, you're meant to consume it as one whole, not one layer at a time. And I think when you, when you squish those layers together, when you, when you read of God's heart for us and see what God requires of our hearts for Him, when that happens, we come to realize that God is not just informing our minds so that we respond with action. He's also stirring our hearts so that we, we realize that the wants and desires of our hearts are actually and only and truly satisfied in Him. You see, not only does God's grace require us to, devote, to totally devote our hearts to Him, but crucially, we require God to graciously speak into our hearts, which He does by pouring out His own. God bridges the gap between the head and the heart by demonstrating, through the grace and love displayed in the gospel, that He alone is to be the desire of our hearts. Now, how does God stir the affections of our hearts? Well, He speaks. He speaks His heart to us in these precious, life-giving words of the Bible, as they proclaim to us His grace and faithfulness and love to us, to the people of Israel, and to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as God speaks His gospel, as God speaks of who He is and what He's done in Jesus, His Spirit takes these words and cuts them deep into our hearts realigning our fickle and misdirected desires away from everything else and directs them towards faith in Jesus. And in doing so, the Spirit circumcises, or in other words, sets our hearts apart for total devotion and obedience to God. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of God speaking. The gospel is not meant to merely be understood and remembered 
and stored away as something cool to understand and know. It is to be meditated upon deeply, proclaimed constantly, treasured wholeheartedly. It is to stir us, shape us, and mold us towards obedience and devotion. The gospel shows us God's heart. And the gospel calls our hearts to desire only him. So let me end with this question. What does your heart want? What does your heart want? Is it to be loved? To succeed? To be accepted? To be honored? To be vindicated? To be freed? To be at peace? To hurt no more? I hope that as God has spoken to us from Deuteronomy this morning, you'll realize that whatever it is that your heart wants, God has already given it to you in the gospel of Jesus. If you're not yet uh, a Christian, then let me extend God's invitation for you to respond to the gospel by setting aside whatever it is you're longing for, whatever it is you're working towards, whatever it is you're desiring after, to acknowledge and cast aside your rebellion against God and to entrust yourself to Jesus, knowing that in Him, your heart's desires will be satisfied. For the rest of us who are Christians, let's take comfort in the fact that we don't need to bridge the gap between the head and the heart because God already has. God has already satisfied the desires of our hearts in the gospel. And in doing so, he has freed our hearts to obey him. And so we need to continue letting the gospel shape our hearts towards obedience and devotion to him. And so as you meditate on God's word this week and into the future, you might ask yourself this question. How is the gospel shaping my heart? How is the gospel shaping my heart to fear him? to walk with Him, to cling to Him, to serve Him, to obey Him, to swear allegiance to His name? How is the gospel shaping my heart to love Him? God requires your heart, and our hearts require God. And so let's continue as we go out into our weeks. Let's continue meditating on the gospel and letting it stir and shape our hearts towards obedience.